RDT Systems, baby. Dog tested and dog tough. We've got those soft mouth dummies. Now listen, everybody knows that we need more bumpers. I'm not talking about one or two or three. I'm talking about adding bumpers to your repertoire. I like using white or black and white bumpers when I'm training my dogs for marks and even blinds. You can get the orange ones. I dig it. But add a bunch to your repertoire. And I'm again, I'm not talking about three to six. If you're working on T pattern, if you're working on blinds and pattern blinds, you need a bunch, a dozen, 18. The Soft Mouth Dummies by DT can't be beat. Check them out, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. DT Difference. Let's go. Hashtag Man's Best Kennel. It's Gunner Kennels, baby. It's a kit. We had Addison on the, the podcast, a phenomenal dude, always innovating our industry. And one of the things that he brought up is it's a kit. It's not just the kennel itself. You've got the fan 2.0 for your summer, right? Like it's hot out. We got to keep that dog cool. In wintertime, you got the all weather kit. Keeps that poor body temperature in there so the dog doesn't have to work as hard to stay warm. They also have the magnetic door accessory that keeps that body temperature in there. And then the straps. Everybody thinks like, oh, I'll just go to Home Depot and get the cheapo straps. Well, listen, they developed these straps so that basically you can lift a VW bug with the two straps. So if you were to get in a car accident on the way to the duck blind or the training grounds, that dog is going to be beyond strapped and stay safe. Check it out. Gunner Kennels, baby. Slide into the DMs. We'll hook you up. It's force fetch, baby. It's the number one question we get asked. You don't know how to fix it? Let me help you. Let me get you to your goals. We built a course bunch of videos. I think there's 13 or 14 videos start to finish on how you and your dog can get through the force fetch process successfully. The link's in the description. Be sure to check it out and let me help you and your dog. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles, baby. We've got a good episode coming with our good friend, the British badass, Barton Ramsey. We had a great discussion. I really, really enjoy talking to him. Every time he's on the show, I just am reiterated in the fact that he's a good dude, and he and I have a lot in common and have a lot of fun talking with him, so get excited. We have an awesome discussion. He even got to go train with our good friend, Adam Campbell from the dog house podcast. So stay tuned. But first we want to just give a shout out to our Patreon members, the community that keeps everything fueled up here. Um, they're our biggest supporters. They're our biggest sponsor. They are our community. And if you want to join that community, if you enjoy the show, if you enjoy getting your questions answered, if you hit us up on Instagram and the DMs and I've helped you, please join Patreon. And I mean please. You know, we get a lot of messages literally every day. And I enjoy helping. But because I enjoy helping, I wouldn't mind getting a little beer bought for me at the old patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters. So if it's something where you feel compelled to join that community, We've got happy hours every other week where we have a beer on Zoom and, and talk dogs and hunting and all the good stuff that goes with it. Jump on patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Show your support. We appreciate it very, very much. Next up is just Lone D, LoneDuckOutfitters.com. If you want a t-shirt, a hat, or whatever to show your support for the show, we appreciate that. A lot of good gear on there. 
Next up, Purina, baby. From the holding blind to the duck blind. Purina. It's the new food that fuels the truck alone duck. We feed puppy formula, large breed puppy formula, as well as 30-20. We do the chicken formula, but the salmon is just as good, if not better. I mean, you know, some dogs have allergies to specific proteins. So if your dog has ear infections or itchy skin on a chicken formula, whatever you feed, maybe try a fish-based formula. Check them out. Purina, baby. Next up, Gunner Kennels. Big news. Limited edition. New kennel. It's that green leaf. It's like if you're an avid turkey guy or gal and you really enjoy that spring foliage look in your camo, well, Gunner Kennel just took care of you and your dog. It's a, it's a new kennel door. For every size kennel that you can get, and it's green. It's they call it green leaf. Yeah, it's the mossy oak green leaf pattern. You can find it on mossy oak or or, or now gunner. <laughs> yeah, baby, it's cool. Limited edition. So if you're interested in getting this limited edition door, you can DM us. I don't know how much supplies there are, but I would imagine it supplies last. Like they've done all, a, a few different colors of the dog kennels, and that stuff flies off the shelf. So if you're interested and want to bite. On the green leaf, don't hesitate. Get her done, baby. Man's the best kennel. Next up, Dogtra. The collar in my pocket, the collar in my hand, the collar on my dog's neck. Dogtra. I prefer every day that Edge RT. For me, the Edge RT is super easy. It's a three-dog unit, so I have can have three collars. Easy, seamless dial that flips from dog A, B, and C. One, two, three, and then a one through eight dial for stimulation level. And in each level, one has a one low, one medium, one high, two low, two medium, two high, etc. You can really fine tune what you're doing. Everything's super easy and, and ergonomic for your hand to make your corrections timely and efficient. Um, if you're not, you know, to me, that's like, you know, the pro trainer one, the real intense amateur trainer kind of collar if you want your mobile agile collar for training and hunting i think that 1900s is where it's at you can find those at the lone duck outfitters.com baby next up shoot or shoot baby kent cartridge <laughs> kevin do you smell that mm. <clears throat> Duck season is nowhere near us. Now, maybe if you're listening to this six months from now and you're just catching up on this episode, maybe it is here. But right now, it is springtime and it is nowhere near duck season. But I can still smell it. Mm, You can catch them at Kent Cartridge on the old Instagrams and tell them we sent you. Next up, Standing Stone Kennels. You know our friends Kat and Ethan. They're Good friends of the show, good friends in training. They're bird dog folks, but what you may not know is they have standing stone supply. It's got everything, dang near everything you can think of for training your dog. Heck, you can even buy pigeons on there. If you want homing pigeons, if you want 
shooter pigeons. I don't know if that's PC, but I don't really care. But yeah, shooter pigeons, homing pigeons. You can uh, get new collars with nameplates on them, easy leads, which are a super handy tool for teaching an unruly dog how to heal. All sorts of good stuff at Standing Stone Supply. So show them support. They're good friends of ours, super great people. So check them out, Standing Stone Supply. Next up, smoke them if you got them, baby. That Traeger Grills. I've got a gigantic pork butt and some ribby ribs sitting in my fridgey fridge. And I cannot wait to get rolling that smoke on the Traeger. Get into them, Traeger Grills, baby. Now let's get into the show. Barton, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Welcome back to the show. How you been, baby? I have been good. I have been good. I'm uh, um, spring training, um, waiting on lake weather, and uh, dodging uh, multiple strings of thunderstorms and tornadoes coming through the the southeast. We've, we've it's been a big discussion about how Tornado Alley has has moved uh, east from you know that you traditionally think of Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and now it's really Mississippi and Tennessee and up into Kentucky and Missouri, but uh, I think everyone's starting to believe that now. That if you look at the weather on the national weather forecast, our a big map with a picture of where I live, with a big dark purple circle around it that says imminent danger is like literally every week right now. So we've been good as long as we're dodging these storms and uh, and uh, enjoying the, the days between them. So you just been like holing up in a basement? You got like a bunker? Well, <laughs> you know, Barton's bunker. Barton's a, bunker. There you yeah. Go. My last, my last house had a bunker, like a tornado shelter underground. And, uh, you know, Wally comes down every spring to train with us. And, and two years ago and last year, there were multiple occasions in which Wally and I had to run up from the kennels to the tornado shelter to dive in there with my family. And, uh, we were able to grab a dog or two, <laughs> you know, it was like, all right, you're sitting there looking at, you know, he's got 25 dogs. I've got 25 dogs. You know, my wife has our Springer Spaniels in the shelter already. And you're like, who can really fit? So <laughs> you, you, you kind of feel shame when you walk back to the kennel from the bunker uh, with the dog that you chose to save. <laughs> and the rest of them are just wagging their tails, happy to see you. And you're like, yeah, I was going to have to spare you. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> This year, we live in a new house, and we're in an area that's kind of hilly. It's not super dangerous for tornadoes. We are, but we've got a room in the house we would get in, and that's about the best you can do here, just get in there. and Yeah. Well, I guess on a serious note, we hope that it, that real stuff doesn't happen, and you're all good from now on, but dang. <laughs> different than yeah. what we deal with over yeah. here. Yeah, we're like, ah, oh, we're getting some Very snow flurries with a yeah. slight the Canadian accent. Just- scary because it happens you know quickly you know it's like hey you got you got 10 minutes to watch tv and then you got 30 seconds to get in a room real fast it's, it's scary it's definitely wild we have people that have visited in the middle of it and like yeah I'm, I'm good i don't i don't want to deal with any of that anymore yeah my dad used to say when we were kids like you know winter up here it sucks we're not gonna you know sugarcoat it we get the snow um from the, like the lake effect snow from Lake Ontario, Lake Erie, and we get pounded right. with snow, but we don't have yeah. tornadoes. We don't have hurricanes. We don't have 
rattlesnakes and water moccasins or things, you know, grizzly bears that you got to be careful of. I mean, literally you can pretty much survive anything. You might have a little, uh, you know, power outage from a bad ice or snowstorm, yeah. but typically like two days later, yep. we're back in school and like rolling. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No, I get it. Yeah. And we, we don't deal with a lot of the cold. We did have snow, um, spring break here which was very interesting. I don't think I can, I, I, I mean, I grew up here and that's never happened in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, I mean, second week of March, we had a two inch snow. It was really, really fun. Actually, the dogs were going nuts and you know, they love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, did your kids I've go sledding? New, it wasn't enough snow, but they did pelt each other with snowballs. Nice. Um, I mean, Southern kids lose their mind in the snow, you know, and it happened during spring break, which is disappointing because we would have had, school canceled for at least one day on a, on a two inch snow. Right. Um, because they just, were not equipped to deal with it, but no, I've got a new, new training grounds. We cleared a bunch of timber and, and planted ryegrass and it grew up real tall in the snow, just like filled it all in. And, uh, it was, it was pretty cool. We don't, we don't really, I've never seen property snow on it. So it was, it was neat, especially for March. Quite interesting. Yeah, that is wild. I would have thought like February, but yeah, February happens, but this was mid-March. Of course, Wally's down here. Like I said, he's got his string of dogs. Do it specifically here for two months to get a jump on, you know, water work. Right. They're up in Michigan the rest of the year, and then they don't usually, like, 100% thaw out until April 1st or so, and then the water's not really comfortable until late April. Yeah. Um, and I was, wow, I was texting. They had a, they had a hunt test. Um, he had two girls who needed – uh, just one more pass to, to finish their HRCH, two of our mama dogs that were scheduled to be bred this spring, summer. And he was like, I really want to finish this, you know, before. And there was one test at our buddy, uh, Corey's good friend down the road from him, Tyler Patterson's place. And uh, the test was run that weekend. So Wally and Corey were out there in the snow, 27 degrees with like a 25 mile an hour north wind. Not what and, they were expecting. Uh, <laughs> I was sitting by my fire. I was like, how's it going, boys? And I thought you were coming out here. Yeah, nah. I'm get, just keep me updated on the dogs. I'm going <laughs> to chill right here. Good luck, oh, boys. Man. Yes, good That's luck, awesome. guys. But at least there should be a real clear line to the blind through that snow, you know. Just That's right a great there. point. Follow, follow that line. Well, yeah, Wally said there's a couple lines. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Tell me more. Uh, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but tell okay. me more about yeah, Corey and and Wally, because I've never met him, and you, you speak highly of yeah. him and all that, and I'd like you to maybe tell our listeners a little bit about who they are and, you know, their yeah. their relationship to you. Sure. Um, Wally is is what I would consider our, our main, like, full-time guy when it comes to training Southern Oak Kennels pups. So we really only bring our own, our own dogs in for training from our breeding program. And uh, as you guys know, we have, we have several locations, um, sort of across the, the country on on this side of the Mississippi River and then over really on this side of the Rocky Mountains, to be fair. Um, Wally and Don run our north location, which is where we're going to have our summit this June. Um, Don is sort of the – without Don, I can't run Southern Oak Kennels. Um, he's my kind of my operator. He, he makes sure everything goes smoothly. He, he Right now, just he just drove from – Michigan to Nebraska to pick up one of our mama dogs from a, a friend of ours and then down to Mississippi to drop her off to be bred, picked up three puppies from here and drove them back up to Michigan in two and a half days. Um, so he's just 
constantly on the go, making sure things are where they're supposed to be. Wally is a dog trainer. Um, he did it years before he worked for us. He's got a full string of dogs, full assistant, um, and one of the best dog trainers I know. Just extremely consistent. Doesn't matter if it's a dog that's soft as butter and you know a little nervy, or a dog that needs its head beaten with a two by four and and still go 100 percent and anything in between. He's he's good for it. Um, he uh, takes a lot of our dogs from puppy all the way through um, a finish level, runs a lot of our client dogs in HRC tests, and uh, lives here for two months in the spring and then moves back to uh, his home in Michigan. And we've got 40 acres up there with some, some water on it and everything he really needs to, to keep them going. That's he awesome. trains uh, year round. Corey is here local. It's a friend of mine I made. And then he got into training dogs with us and is one of those guys that you know you, you you go through one door and you realize hey this is pretty cool and then you're like hey there's a door that goes a little deeper in this house and then there's a door that goes a little deeper in that and at first he was just blown away by being able to get dogs to just sit and heal and stay and now he's uh i mean he's limit he's the one that was with was uh we'd mentioned earlier on the phone before we started recording he's the one that made the connection with adam we can talk about that in a little bit but um he really dove headfirst into, excuse me, into HRC um, with a dog that we imported named Arden um, and had some open stake placements in the UK and then came over here and Corey was like, I see how he does. And, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty stout transition from a, an English field trial to an HRC test. I mean, right. Not most, most of them can do it, but you really have to train differently. There's, there's some, some things that you got to teach them that they just haven't learned yet. Um, and some things you really have to change. So Corey went through that with Arden and, um, and ended up in two and a half years putting him in the 500 point club. Nice. And, uh, I want to say he was 30, like 33 of 36 and finished and get this. He would hate me for saying this, but, uh, cause he's very humble. Doesn't like to brag at all, but 36 finish tests. He has not blown the whistle on one mark. So the dog, so that can, dog is dog, dog can mark. Dog maybe. is not not burned a handle, and of course he's made a lot of other HRCH dogs in that amount of time. I think he's at like seven or eight or nine, and he's only been doing it for like three years. So, and and we that's not our game. You know, we don't do that all the time. That's more of a side gig for us. So he's he's built some connections in the HRC and made a lot of friends over there. And uh, but the other thing about Corey is he's the vice president of a bank. So he's, oh, he's got a full-time gig that keeps him. I mean, this is nine to five and he really works at like nine to seven. So dog training is squeezed in. He only ever, you know, he usually has between two and four client dogs at a time. And that's how most of our guys operate. They've got a full-time job and dog, the dog deal is a side gig. It's just as their, um, what do they call it? Like a passion hobby that they learn they could use to make a little side income and write off all their duck hunting stuff, which is awesome. So yeah, he's got a, uh, two two daughters, a wife. They just bought twenty eight acres and a new house. Built a stunning facility. It'll be ready in about two weeks. Uh, holds about fourteen dogs and uh, three three puppy bays to to raise litters out there. Cool uh, indoors and like a house environment. So yeah, Wally and Corey, and that's just two two of the guys on our team, but two guys that I don't think I could do it without. That's really cool. Uh, for personal selfish reasons, tell me about puppy areas and and raising these puppies because i'm going to be outfitting you know some either building something off of a barn or renovating my garage or we've raised them in our house and Mm -hmm. it's doable but 
man, it, it's not, you know, it's just not. <laughs> it, it, yeah, there's certain aspects of it that get difficult. Um, we've raised a lot of litters in our houses as well. And I like that to an extent. Um, but I've learned you can raise them near your house in a more controlled environment and still allow, you know, my kids and my kids' friends and, and I can still have controlled access where they're raised socially as a part of the family without having the smell of, of puppy poop in my living room for four weeks, you know. That's 100% um, what I'm going for. Yeah. Like, they'll get socialized. They'll get everything that they normally would have in my house. It's just going to be 50 yeah. yards away and not in yeah. like carry my fiance's so, office is technically literally <laughs> one foot away. <laughs> oh yeah. So that's tough. Ventilation is impossible. So what I would say that I've learned is that the puppy area, we call it a whelping room. Mm-hmm. Um, you need everything in that room needs to be cleanable as far as like, a, 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 it needs to be able to be cleaned with bleach or a whiskey wash. Um, in, in an instance where you do have an outbreak of a virus or something like that. Um, just to keep it sanitary, you don't need, you know, wood, for instance. Um, you don't need porous substances. You need concrete and you need it treated well. Um, I like to have everything on a completely separate ventilation system in a puppy room. So we have multiple, um, you know, air vents pulling air out of the puppy room. We have split units, putting air into our puppy rooms. We have a welcome facility at, at Lynn Reeds, which is now the kind of SOK headquarters. And it's got six bays in it. Um, there's no splash between the bays. Each bay has its own individual drain so that if you're washing out one bay, and let's just say you got a litter that, that got into a puddle outside and got some Giardia and you got some other pups next door to them that are younger, you're not washing that over into their bay. Um, so no overspray. Of course, I know you probably only have one litter at a time, maybe two, right? I mean, right. You're, not, you're not putting more than one. So that's not a huge issue. Um, and then for us having a private, like Corey's building an airing yard right now that's only going to be for mamas and puppies. Mm-hmm. And no other dogs will go in that airing yard. Um, and that airing yard will have its own drainage system its own way to be clean and its own access in and out so that really those dogs are never, until they're vaccinated, they're never where other dogs are running around. Um, yeah, that's my so big those are, concern. Those are the big ones for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's here. big. I mean, I've, I've, I don't know how many people know about it. We don't, we're not super public about it, but several years ago we had a parvo outbreak from someone who visited two kennels and then came to our kennel and didn't tell us that. Um, and it was, it was, I mean, for the people that walked through it with us, it was devastating. I was on Google trying to figure out what it took to just become a truck driver. I was done. I was out of this bad. I mean, just done. Uh, and so I would not wish that upon anyone. I, I talked to several other breeders who've had it happen and we were able to control it and get rid of it before we ended up selling that place and moving to where we are now. But now that I'm here and we're building new facilities and Corey's building his facility, we're extremely, um, conscious about what can happen and, and focused on preventing it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just being able to isolate them is a huge thing. And even isolating like in the, in the last one, the return air was in the main building, but the air unit that blew cool or warm air into the puppy bay was the same. And so that smell would still get into the air conditioning, no matter what you did. Mm -hmm. And just having it completely locked off with its own unit was such a huge help. Once we did that, I was like, oh, you can come in here and not be like, oh my gosh, there's two liters of five-week-olds in here because I smell it. You know, it's we were able to, to be a little cleaner with 
our hospitality after that. Cool. And uh, they're fine in the beginning when mom does all the cleaning, but once mom stops cleaning up and they start eating solid food and uh, pooping, you know, big big puppy turds, then yeah, it can it's get a whole different ball game after that. Stinky is is it's an understatement. If 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 it you is. haven't, you know, people listening, whatever, haven't necessarily walked into that sort of environment. And no matter how much you clean, like it's still lingering. Yeah, it's still it's not an, a, a cleanliness issue. I mean, we cleaned religiously, you right. know. And even now, with our puppies right now, I would say having multiple bays, even if you're doing one litter at a time, is extremely important. So, our main facility here, we have six puppy rooms. We will never have six litters of puppies at one time ever. Um, usually, three is max. So. In the morning, when when Chris shows up, you know, puppies in bay number one get moved to bay number four, and bay number one gets completely sanitized. And then puppies in two go to five, three go to six, and the the left side is completely clean, and the right side is full of puppies. Well, at lunchtime, do it all again. Flip them right back over. And then at dinnertime, we do it all again. So three times a day, they're moving to the clean bay. And, uh, you know, having the ability to swap them, while the other bay is sanitized and dries is really valuable. That's genius. That's genius. Yeah, just otherwise, what are you going to do? I mean, you're, you're trying to keep them dry. You're, you know, it's, yeah, saves you a lot. Yeah. Well, and you're not juggling cleaning around puppies trying to grab at the broom, and you can actually get in there deep clean, you know, with the sanitary yeah. things like you mentioned, that whizzy wash. Man, that's like God's yeah. gift to the dog kennel. Uh, kill Starbucks, too. Yeah, I yeah, mean, that's we, the real deal. I can't recommend that thing enough. We've used one for, I mean, uh, I got one two years into my my house on Longview, so I want to say we've been using one for about eight years now. And uh, we've been through a lot. They don't last. You know, they last you maybe a year if you're using it every day. Right. And that's okay. That's a small price to pay. You go <laughs> yeah, add up yeah. what you spend on that compared to a gallon of bleach, and you're still saving a bunch of money. Right. And they're safe for dogs. I mean, there's no telling how many times we've asked, you know, dogs run by and run through the middle of the whiskey wash and, got it all over them and you're like, yeah, it's not, it's not a big deal. It just doesn't, doesn't hurt them. Uh, your kennel smells good. And yeah, yeah. So, not yeah. sponsored by them, but definitely recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should both get on that. <laughs> <laughs> I love yeah. it. I love it. Um, we were requested and I know that you are our friends and fan as well, but old Gunner kennel, they came out with some new gear, new colors. Uh, did you see that stuff? Yeah, yeah, I was excited, man. They're they got there's no telling what those guys have up their sleeves all the time, and uh, I got the emails and and um, yeah, that was that was super cool of them to do the what's that green leaf pattern? Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's their I'm green leaf. My, it, it looks like yeah, a turkey hunting sort of deal. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking out my window right now, and I'm I'm in a very wooded area, and I've got 16 acres of just hardwoods and uh, two weeks ago, I could see the road from here. It's 350 yards to the road. And now the leaves are coming in, and it looks just like that pattern. Like, all dark, but a little bit of green. You can't see the road anymore. So That's cool. That looks really cool. It's, the, it's just it's the door, right? They, they, yeah, just the door there. that they have painted uh, yeah. um, like they did in the bottomlands. Yeah, so it's – right, exactly. So you can just do it up. But – their difference is, uh, I think the bottomland one was only for the intermediate and large, and this one, they're doing it for the whole suite. Nice, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, they're always That's coming really up with cool. good stuff. 
all the time, all the time. Yeah, I love those guys. So Addison's, uh, you guys seen Addison's new pup? I did, yeah. Did he get it from you? Chevy. Yeah, the red scarlet pup. Nice. We had a lot of different plans in the works, and finally, at the end of the day, they were like, man, we, our family is dying to have a, a puppy, but I want the right puppy, so it just happened to work out. Um, Didn't they get a golden doodle or something? Well, they have like a million dogs. Yeah, oh, there, there's a handful. Story. They, they, they had a doodle, and there was an accident around Christmas time with a, a, a friend in the driveway. And, oh, and okay. Golden doodle was, yeah, that was a tough situation there on the family, and that's why it was like, hey, we Got to do something. We probably need to hurry this puppy situation up, you know. And we happened the Scarlet had a huge litter and a lot of boys. And they were, you know, it took me, into, I don't, I don't want to get into this, but it took me a long time to convince Addison to not get another chocolate dog. <laughs> now, again, I wasn't trying. I was just telling him, like, he, he wanted a dog from us and for years was like, so you sure you can't breed a chocolate litter? And I was like, look, bro, from, from the bloodlines I use, there aren't any that I would breed chocolate from. So right. just. I'm, I'm all about the quality, and I know there are some quality chocolate bloodlines out there, but that's not what we do. So if you want one of those, I'm happy to connect you. And he's like, no, no, I'm getting a Southern Oak dog. We've been friends too long. And anyway, I, I convinced him the dark enough fed was close to chocolate. That's awesome, dude. <laughs> so, so he's got Chevy. He's actually up with Miles right now, one of our other guys in Kentucky. And that is, I think he went to that Ducks Expo this weekend. So cool. Miles has him and, and sent me some videos yesterday, and he, he's going to be a sharp pup. He's, he's a good looking son of a gun too, which is nice. You don't want to, you don't want to sell a dog or give a dog to the gunner folks and it wind up being ugly. That's right. No, that's that. not a good look for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. So he sent me a video and I was like, thank goodness he's still a pretty dog. So yeah. anyway. Somebody made a comment, like there are some folks out there and, and I'm sure you've heard this too, where it's like, I don't care what it looks like as long as it goes and gets my duck. Right. And then I've also heard the converse side of it where it's like, there's too many good dogs out there to have an ugly one. And I'm kind of on that boat now. It's like, man, you ugly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard people say life's just too short for ugly dogs. That's what um, it is. That's right. Yeah. So you got to be at I, I least pretty. It, you know, you, well, the thing about it is, is a lot of people, you know, make these dichotomies. And I'm like, hey, you can, you can have both. I agree. <laughs> you can have a really nice dog that's also a really good-looking dog. And I know not everybody agrees on what a good-looking dog is. Whatever you think a good-looking dog is, you can have one that's that and nice. You yeah, know, I agree. Uh, it's, it's doable. Totally so. doable. Totally doable. Yeah. So, um, you know, Kevin and I were talking at dinner, like some of the topics we wanted to hit on, and you have a new stud dog that you imported. Can you tell us about them and kind of you've pro you've already debuted yeah. them, but debut them here, man. Yeah. Um, for those in the in the uh, those into. UK labs and the, the British field bred lab world. Um, you're already, you would be extremely familiar with him. Um, he is, uh, his name is Moose. Kennel name is Staunton Vale Moose Milk. And, uh, the, the quick version is, um, I met a friend in the UK named Laura Hill. And, uh, she's written a really good book on retriever training, um, that I'll, I'll send you guys a link to. Um, she's been in it maybe 10, 12 years. I think she's made up nine or 10 field champions in the UK, which is pretty unbelievable. Um, I mean, a lot of pros over there make up one every five or six years. Wow. She's averaging one every year and a half or so. And they've all come from her breeding. Um, she started her own line. She's it, it split a few ways and, 
Um, I noticed, you know, I was over here in, in America on the internet, like who's over there killing it, you know, who's, who's dominating. I want to go meet that person. So I set up a, a meet and greet with her and ended up going to a couple field trials and she met Bethany, my wife. And, uh, we just became sort of chat buddies and talked about trials and dogs and her dogs. And back then I would say, you know, sell me a puppy, you know. I want one of your pups. And she was like, I, you know, I don't export. I don't send anything out of, out of England. So everything that she raised and bred, she wanted in field trial homes in England, which was respectable. Yeah. And, um, I just, just kept the relationship going. She, she talked through a lot of stuff when we were uh, in Cornerstone, um, when she developed the training website in England, um, through her book. And, um, she had this dog named Moose that I was obsessed with as a six month old puppy. I was over there in England at a field trial and she was in line at the trial and she said, Hey, will you just go to the truck and let Moose out? So I let him out, took him for a walk. And I was like, this dog is awesome. You know, you know, you meet those young dogs and you're like, I don't know what you're going to be like, but I just really like you. Yeah. Um, I'm sure you've met those dogs and he ends up winning his first novice stake. The next weekend he wins an all age qualifies to, to run opens. Um, over there, it's a little different than here. It's not based on whether the handler is a professional or not. It's based on the level of the dog. Gotcha. So novice stakes are a little easier. Then you go to an all-age stake, and then you can run. You qualify to run an open stake, which is the most most difficult. Um, quickly becomes a field trial champion. He has over 13 or 14 field trial awards um, in his career. Uh, ran in the championships in 2019 with Laura. Made it to the last day. Went out on a very tough bird. Story for another day, but he actually went out on the same retrieve as Noah Parsons, who lived in England at the time and now works for us and runs the uh, Kansas Outpost at OK Flint Hills. So there's pictures of them both standing in line going for the same bird. In England, I think we may have talked about this before, but in a field trial, if a dog doesn't doesn't find, so it's a live bird, and this was an injured bird that ran. If a dog doesn't find it, then send the next dog. And the next, and they'll go up to four dogs. And if the fourth dog doesn't find it, all the judges go look for it. All the ones that went for it and weren't successful are out, almost like like put out in basketball right. um, or knockout. So anyway, they went out on the same bird, real difficult bird. Third dog found it. Um, and I, you know, talking to Miles, and Miles was like, "You should try to buy a moose." that she's going to send it to anywhere. Getting like 25, 30 uh, stud services a year over there. I mean, just staying busy, producing pups, running in trials. And um, tough situation. Laura's husband, Derek, uh, who owns Moose, he, he came with some difficult health issues, wasn't really able to handle the dog. And um, just said, look, there's a chance we might be thinning out. If you're still interested, I might. You know, I might be willing to send Moose to the U.S. And I was just like, no way. You know, there's, this is not the kind of dog that you normally can bring over. And I honestly, I had just imported a bunch of frozen semen from him. Oh, no way. <laughs> I was like, like great. I'm going to have to sell that, I guess. But yeah. So, man, I waited I waited about five months until she was ready. And, and uh, we had a long conversation about it. And, and it's one of those deals where seven years of, of friendship and, and, and trust and discussion relationship building uh you know sitting at the dinner table talking dogs uh actually paid off and we were able to bring him over here he just turned six so he's got hopefully 
three, four more years of, of being a stud. He's proven himself time and again in the UK. He's a joy to be around, and he's produced some really nice puppies. And one of the things I really love is he's already got he's already got some field trial winners on the ground that he's produced, but um, he's got a lot of health tested puppies that he's produced, and they've done really well. Um, they've been very healthy. Good. And so for us, being, having a dog that's, that's great as far as his looks, his confirmation, his demeanor, trainability, good drive, loves the water. He's one of the most you know, water-seeking UK dogs I've ever seen. I mean, I let him out. If I'm going to go let him out when we get done with this podcast, and I guarantee the first thing he will do is run to the water and just swim. Um, <laughs> Which is a good thing and a bad thing. You're like, you man. mother. Yeah, get yeah, your... he's never going to be clean. That's right. <laughs> get up here. Get your um, booty. But yeah, he's. Yeah, but yeah, he's he's great. I'm really excited to have him. He's he's up on the website, and uh, cool. We're uh, we're pretty thrilled. One question I have for you: you you mentioned like three to four more years of um, breeding. Are you collecting him as well so that you stockpile it? Like, did you do that with Red? Yes. Do you do that? Yes, um, I didn't do it with Red. Uh, we we probably still can't. Red's actually with me for the summer. Um, we probably still can if we ever wanted to bring him back out. A lot of times what we do if we really want a dog's lineage to be kept is we will keep a few of his daughters. And, you know, whatever the next thing that comes along, we'll we'll, we'll use them over one of their daughters to keep a, a kind of a line of dog here. But with the champions that we bring over, which this is my uh, fifth field trial champion to import, um, we, keep, we keep frozen semen. So Prince... Uh, international field trial champion Apache Joe. That was my first kind of real big field trial champion to bring over. Mm -hmm. I still got eight breeding units left. Those are not for sale. You know, those are mine. Um, We used one last year on one of Wally's. Actually, the one of the girls that Wally needed to finish her HRCH with in the snow the other day, which he he ended up doing. Um, We used Prince, a frozen semen vial with her. And then we kept all the females from that litter, just hoping that they turn out to be what we want and pass their health test and can be put back in our program. So we're kind of always thinking, you know, what's five years from now? What 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 lines did we, what lines have we used that we really want to see come back into the program in two or three years? Yeah. Um, and then some lines you're like, hey, we thought this was going to be great. We imported several puppies out of this dog, and we don't like any of it. So we're 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 getting that out of here. You know, get get rid of it. So. Yep. Um, it's yeah, such a hard uh, game and I think Kevin and I talked about it on the podcast the other day because I bred two two girls and uh, one didn't take but which I want to ask you about that frozen semen in a second so remind me Kevin frozen semen it's not often me and Barton can talk frozen semen it's really kind of getting my, my juices flowing it's almost a little bit romantic <laughs> unintended <laughs> romantic yeah, yeah. Um, one didn't take one did and the moment that like the girls come into heat it's like this gut check for me because i don't have a stud dog mm. here and i have such high expectations to build the most perfect animal and me and you have talked about it off air you know i've i've called you before and just asked your opinion on some things but it's like this is my product this is this is going to be somebody's sure. family member hunting buddy competition buddy you know, riding the truck and go everywhere with them, a 13 to 14 year investment in time, money, emotion. Yeah. And I take it so seriously that when it comes down to time that, oh my gosh, they're in heat, it's like, uh oh, 
uh-oh, what am I going to do? Who do I pair him with? How do I pair him? You know, um, availability of semen. Um, and the next dog I keep will be a male. And, and hopefully that'll help alleviate some of my issues. But I have such high expectations, man, that it's like I know everybody's flaws. And mm. I, it's like I'm too close to the product where yeah. it's like, man, this yeah. one, I need to know, you know, does he get along with other males? You know, is he cuddly mm. around the kids? Is he uh, right. whiny in the blind? I mean, that's an automatic you're out for me. Yeah. Because I do think yeah. that's genetic. That's one, you know, uh, on several levels that me and you agree on, that's one major flaw of any dog, British, American, yeah. English, you know. That's right. Boykin, you name it. If they whine in the blind, you out, baby. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I look at that as, as it, it is, to me, genetic. I think if you've got a whiny dad or a whiny mom, you're going to get whiny pups. Yeah, your likelihood is significantly increased, and I think that your style of training can can exacerbate that. Um, but yeah, but and, I th- I think and, it can exacerbate and as a trainer, it. Trainer, you can you can knock it out. Ahead. Well, you can. I agree with you. I mean, typically, like if I raise them, I jump on their buns pretty quick to be quiet in the sure. crate and everywhere else. And knock on wood, anybody I've ever owned and hung on to has been quiet, but. The Johnny down the road who buys one from me or you or Timbuktu, yeah, you know they don't. Yeah. Oh, you're, it's just a baby. Well, yeah, but yep. wait till he's eight months old and you're throwing marks and he's doing that. Come on. Yep, yep. I think that you can take a dog that might have been quiet and, and make him noisy with poor training. I it, think you can right. take a dog that's genetically programmed to be noisy, and you're going to have a real, real tough time getting that dog quiet. Agreed. Um. So yeah, we're in agreement there, and. Dude, the, the stud dog is a very controllable variable for a breeder, right? You're a breeder, so you've got the mama dog. And, you know, I've heard Adam Campbell had a good podcast on this not long ago with, with uh, Lauren, and they were just talking about just not breeding a bitch that you wouldn't want to hunt over and own. You know, you know the bitch. Um, right. I never, ever want to say, hey, I, I'm going to use this stud dog because I hope it fixes X or Y out of this bitch. If I need something fixed X or Y, then she doesn't need to be bred. Um, I want, not that they're perfect, but you know what I'm saying? Like, Hey, she doesn't have any major faults. She doesn't have anything that makes me want to pull my hair out. And therefore I'm going to breed her. Um, that's right. Her health is all good. She's, she's marking, she's handling, she's biddable. She's got drive. She's not, you know, she has, she loves the water. She loves my kids. She doesn't have any aggression. All those things. But those boxes have to be checked. Well, now, um, well, I'll give. I'll go back to Laura, my friend in England. She's, I think, one of the most accomplished breeders over there because she's bred all these field champions. I mean, she's only repeated one breeding. It was the breeding that Moose came from. She repeated it. She kept a bitch, and that one became a field trial champion, the same age as Moose, and and placed in six of her first seven field trials. Wow. Um, and that Laura knew, she was like, I can repeat that one. That's one I think I can get this, this from again. And I was talking to her one time about the same choice. She was just laboring over a, what stud to use. You know, there's a lot of them out there. What do I want to use over this particular female that she had? And, um, 
I was like, you know, what are you looking for? And she, she said, to be honest, if I just knew that it was going to keep, if it was going to give the puppies really good health and everything else came from my female, I'd be happy. And I was like, well, that's, that's really saying a lot. You know, all she wants is a dog that keeps them healthy and everything else can come from her female. And I think if you can get to that point with your girls that you can, you know, the pressure comes off a little bit on the stud dog. It's a good point. And then you just, you know, you just pulled everyone. And look, honestly, I, I had a stud dog that was from Ireland that was very desirable. A lot of people wanted to use him. International champion, won the Irish national championship. And two years into breeding in the U.S., we realized he was producing a lot of bad elbows. I mean, they were coming up left and right. Every litter, it seemed like, had an elbow dysplastic dog. So we retired him at the age of seven. And off he went. You know, you, you just realize, like, hey, you're not it, buddy. You're, right. you're not going to produce what we want. It's, it's awesome as the things that you've done are. You're health tested. You're everything, but you're not producing it. So out you go. And I think if you can find a stud that's got enough pups on the ground that are two and up who's been health tested, you can really narrow it down. You know, talking to people, what what have you gotten out of these pups? What have you seen? And, all of that to say, I think, when I'm guilty of it too, because it's a lot easier from uh, the marketing side of things. We put a lot of emphasis on stud dogs, and I've, again, we only train pups from our breeding, right? Right. So we see, I mean, we've got right now between all the campuses, we've got over 50 dogs in training that we produced. And so you can and see I'll what you right like now, and what you don't. 100. percent And I can look at them and I can say, well, this one's this and but I had a conversation with Corey today. We've got three dogs from the same litter in for training and they couldn't be any more different. I mean, they are, you would never guess that they are litter mates ever. Um, so a lot of it, we think we can control, but we can't, we just can't. You yeah. Know, we're just, let's stack the odds as best we can in our favor. And then let's just try our best to make a great dog out of it. Yeah. Um, I, I think and, that and so much of it's out. I think the point, Kevin and I were talking about it when we were talking about crews and, and summit when we were breeding or talking about the litters. It's like, no matter what I do, no matter what you do, no matter what anybody else who does what we do, literally covering, you know, repeating everything you just said, because it was important that everyone hear it. And maybe they got to rewind three minutes and listen to it again, no matter what it's still, we're playing God in some ways. Like we still don't know. Sure. We're still doing the we're, best we can with what we've got, yeah. the information in front of us, the paperwork in front of us, the personalities of the parents in front of us. At the end of the day, there could be one screwball, four really good ones, and then four that you know need to be handled by an experienced person or mm. whatever the case may be. But it's no matter what, you just do the best you can with integrity yep. and hope that everybody's pumped. And, and you are as yep. well. Yep. I agree completely. I agree completely. It's uh, it's not an exact science, and uh, we don't always get it right, but we do our best and make adjustments. And I had this conversation with Don the other day when he was driving and just said, look, I feel like right now at Southern Oak, we have the best genetics we've ever had. I feel like, and that's not coming from just looking at the website. That's coming from looking at the dogs and training. So we're producing these dogs. We're training them. That gives us the front row seat. What are we producing? Right. And we have, you know, I always ask my trainers when I talk to them, the guys that work with us, you know, you got any that are giving you some red flags, 
you know, you got any that you're concerned with, you know, you're three months in with a dog, you want to call the owner and say, Hey, I'm not so sure this is going to be worth further investment. You know, you got any of those and we've always had those. If you're a trainer, you're always going to have them. Um, but we have significantly less now. And um, I told Don, I said, that's a, that's a testament to the program. And I hope that in five years we're looking back and we're like, man, it's even better. Yep. You know, I just want to keep on improving. Exactly. All right. Speaking of, you know, you had mentioned Adam Campbell and his podcast and you were listening to that. Um, you got the opportunity. Adam is, you know, one of two hosts of the Doghouse podcast. He's a retriever trainer in Alabama. Um, good friend of ours and, and yours now, too. And you got the uh, opportunity to go and work with him and train with him. And, and a couple, it, tell us about that day. Tell us, you know, how, how did it go? Yeah. I mean, I'll correct one thing. He came and trained with us. Oh, cool. Which was cool. Really cool. Yeah. He came up to us. That's awesome. Um, and I don't know how it happened. He saw, okay, he saw a video posted where we were running a dog, I believe, straight through an old fall onto a different mark, or maybe a blind. All right, and say that he, one more time. Asked, so okay, he saw Adam, a video. Adam saw a video on the internet where we had some setup. It wasn't me, but it was maybe Corey's setup, and the dog was running through an old fall, either on another mark or a blind. Mm-hmm. I mean, straight through the old fall. And Adam um, messaged and just said, you know, help, you know, explain to me why you're doing that. And that led to a whole conversation with Corey where he was like, man, I just want to come up there and see what you're doing. Um, and I do think Adam's, he's a curious individual. And most of the people that are the most successful in life are curious. Uh, they ask questions and, yeah. and Adam's a question asker. He wants to understand. And I think he also, and kudos to him. He, I think he's understood that you don't have to choose between being a really good retriever trainer in the test game or the SRS game or wherever it might, wherever your venue might be, you don't have to choose between being successful there and being successful in marketing your business. Um, That's obviously a passionate topic of mine, but a lot of the guys down here, you know, they, it's like they're against any bit of marketing other than just ribbons. Yeah. I get where the sentiment comes from and I understand that causes, and I'm sure you all have experienced it. And you may experience it from doing this podcast. It causes some resentment toward guys like me. I get that. Yeah. Um, Adam has said, Hey, I, I think I can do both. You know, I want to, I want to build a successful company and, and market and brand, but I still want to be a successful uh, dog trainer. And he is, he's very, very good, obviously. Um, so I think he reached out cause he was like, I kind of want to see what you guys are up to. I want to see what's, 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 what's the deal. So Corey set up a training day out at some grounds we have that are really hilly. Um, and we set up something that we would normally run. It was funny, man. Adam pulled up. Uh, he had his buddy Spence with him. Yeah, uh, had, Spence uh, is the man. Spence. Yeah, Spence was awesome. And then the guy that throws, uh, um, he's like a local hero, Mr. D, right? <laughs> yeah, um, Mr. Dude, D. Dude was awesome. So they show up, full trailer of dogs, look at the setup. They like most of it. There's one mark, and Adam's like, I'm not going to run my dog on that mark. Apparently, it was a little too close to water. And he was, you know, hey, if my dogs are running at water, I want them to get in it. So mm-hmm. we moved it. Uh, he set up a poison bird. Mr. D's in the valley, throwing a bird right to the left into the cover in the middle of this valley. 
and you got to know them off the birds, run them under the arc, through the valley, right next to the gun, back up the other side of the valley on a blind. Mm-hmm. And we're all just like, okay, you're about <laughs> to see our dogs crumble. Sure. You know, this is We run poison birds, but it's Same. like, hey, the mark's over here at uh, 3 o'clock. We're turning this dog all the way over to 9 to run this blind. This is like, hey, um, the dog's got to go about 12 feet from that, and we're throwing ducks. Yep. Um, so it was a challenge for us, but the dog did really well. In fact, Corey and Arden might, might have been one of the cleanest dogs of the day. Um, I ran a few dogs. Adam ran a bunch of dogs, and we had a daggum blast. We talked about training. Um, I, I learned something from Adam that day. Um, I've always focused on building confidence in dogs, and I want to see a dog traveling with momentum. I want a dog going with confidence. I want them stopping with confidence. I want them casting with confidence. Well, two things happened that, that Adam mentioned. Um, he had a dog that he had to get in a little bit of a fight with on the poison bird. Okay. The dog sucked into it. That, that was normal. We were letting dogs suck to it. And then trying to cast them, off. Give, yeah. Giving them a right angle back. Like, hey, I'm, I'm obviously sending you away from that. Okay. I'm giving you a clear picture here. He ran toward it. I stopped you right before it. I gave you a cast away from it. This is where me and you got to do work. I'm teaching you something. Okay. So he had a dog he had to do a little battle with. And then the dog got past the poison bird. And then he had like kind of a, a sloppy last hundred yards on this blind. Mm-hmm. Right. There were some cast refusals. Adam was very calm, very collected, just attrition, stop, recast, stop, recast. And I was like, man, you know, and, and I think he all knew that we were like, man, that was, the end of that was kind of sloppy. And Adam said, man, I, the last thing I want to do is get in a fight with him after I've already won the battle on the poison bird right. and undo that, that win by getting in a battle on just some casting way up on the hill. I can fix that later. This is a young dog. And, he, and I thought, man, what a great lesson to learn. Pick your battles. The win that I really am looking for has to do with the poison bird. That's right. Once we, once the dog gets that, now we've, we've painted a picture for him. Okay. I'm casting you off this. I lined you up for a blind. I obviously didn't send you on this mark. I'm getting you through this old, this area back up the hill. Now we're going to be pretty loose because we want this dog to think, yeah, I'm winning. You know, I've, I've won this. And I thought that was really cool and building momentum, uh, just his understanding of, of the dog's brain. And, and, admittedly you get in that battle and you end that retrieve with a lot of pressure you have undone the win that happened in the middle of it. Uh, the dog's not thinking about yeah but i did that middle part great you know they're just right. thinking about the pressure that's right um and the second thing that adam was real big on and i, I love this i've always thought when you're training the goal is not to get the, the dummy and get back as quickly as possible that's the goal with hunting right when we're hunting them but when we're training we're trying to teach and Adam had some examples where, um, let's say uh, we had a blind on the left side and it's up a pretty big hill and he had to fight the wind. And a lot of times we were having to stop dogs and give them a, a nice angle back up the hill. I'm doing an angle with my hand right now, remembering this. And they would give you a little bit of an angle back and dig straight back. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And, uh, obviously quick whistle, very quick. As soon as you, as soon as you left. Uh, and, and, and left the line I gave you on that cast and, and deviated quick whistle. 
a little bit of an exaggerated angle back. Well, Adam was letting those dogs take that exaggerated angle way past what would be considered challenging the blind. Right. Right. Yep. And then stop them and even give them like a right over to the stake. Yep. Um, and I was like, man, I'm always thinking about challenge a blind, challenge a blind, challenge a blind. And in a test, sure. Yes. But Adam was like, what I want is that cast. I give them that cast and they're going to roll for 30, 40 yards for me. I'm going to take it. Because uh, all they know is, man, I took it. He ain't blowing the whistle again. I did good. That's right. And, uh, of course, that's, you know, Adam, Adam way of, Adam's way of explaining it. it was super simple and real effective. Um, I think that's and, another and moment I, where people can stop the podcast now, go back three minutes, and re-listen to what you just said because – that is massive, especially for mm. a dog who's learning how to run blinds or even an older dog. I mean, it, it's still a good concept of if you fought yeah. a few cast refusals or scallops where they take your cast and then fade where they want to go, take your cast, fade where they want to go, then finally you get them to do it and you stop them right on the line and cast them again. It's like, well, y- you didn't give them a chance yeah. to feel good about the right decision. Let them yeah. feel good. Let, let them know. Let them know they won. And the same. The same goes for the the opposite, which is he and Spence had a good talk. One of the things I love about Adam, and I, I I found this out within ten minutes. He has a way of giving you advice, very direct, very straightforward, but you always feel like it's advice from a friend. Yeah. And that's big. So Adam's behind the line, and he's like, "Well, let me ask you a question. You know, when you did this, what? Why did you do that?" And you're like, oh shoot, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you know, I know. You tell me, like, you're, uh, you're the uh, guy that shit. I don't know. You got 13 master national plates in your truck somewhere. You know, maybe you tell me what I should do. Yeah. Uh, but no, he's he's but he's he's got this great way of like stepping in the moment and saying, hey, I might would have would have done this. You know, and and you're like, that's actually a great thought. Well, Spence was uh, training his dog, one of his dogs, and and maybe I think he was handling a dog for Adam, and he let the dog roll about 40 yards on a scallop and it was the opposite it was hey all that dog knows is he's doing good because you're letting him go right and so it was being really quick on the whistle on a refusal or a scallop and very very slow on the whistle if they gave you what you wanted even if it meant you're not challenging the blind i learned a lot from that um yeah so i would it's not always about getting the bird real fast on the training day. It's about teaching lessons and getting wins. Yeah. And so when people ask me about running blinds and they'll be like, well, he can do an 80 yarder or, or whatever the number is, but it's short. I like to have really long blinds because then you have wiggle room to let them take these bigger casts when they make the right yeah. choice. Where if you're just doing yeah. hundred yard, 120 yard, 80 yard blinds, the, it's harder to let them deviate and then recover from it. Where if you do a two yep. or two fifty, you've got room to let them make a mistake, make a mistake, make a good life choice, and then let them carry mm-hmm. it for a minute. And then you've got time to get them back online. And if you, it, you know, like you were saying, I gave an angle back, you know, here sitting here, I'm doing the same thing with my hand. Like I want them when they're learning, I want them to weave through that field pretty wide. And then as they yep. get better, it's a little bit tighter. And as it gets better, it's a little yep. bit tighter. But even in, like I you said, it, in training, you want to, if you have a problem, have a problem, have a win, 
let them enjoy that win, then stop them yep. and get them back in there. Yeah, I, I love it. And, and, and again, when you give a cast, you're giving a cast because you need them to change the direction. Mm-hmm. And I want to see that change happen. And Adam made a comment when we were training together that, you know, in a test situation or uh, even in a situation with more pressure, they're going to dig back. Mm-hmm. You know, that angle back's not going to be quite an angle. They're going to want to go. Um, and I think that's true of most dogs. You know, they're going to feel the pressure of the test and all that. They're going to dig harder back. And so getting those wins where they really do change direction during training is important. Yeah, and um, pressure might not be the right word, like excitement. The, the, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The Just giddy the anxiety up. of like there's a lot going on. You yeah. Know, i got to go, got to go. I, I've um, got that tree yeah, focused in my mind or that bush, and, yeah. and I'm going to it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was cool training with them. They were really kind. Um, it, of course, we we do different. I mean, we run a dog on a setup, and the dog goes on a mow marsh or a Cato board right behind it. And we've talked about this before. And at the end of the setup, Adam's laughing because he had like six or eight dogs on tie-out stakes, like 60 yards behind the line. And we had 18 dogs on mow marshes right behind the line. I mean, <laughs> literally 10 feet behind the line. Yeah. And they're not – And he was like, yeah, I mean, we asked him, you know, would your dog do that? And he was like, yeah, with some work, you know, with some training for sure. Um, that's, I mean, but our explanation, Corey explained it best, was most of these dogs experience in hunting is going to be just sitting there. Yeah. And we want them to be really good at sitting there and not, not anxious, not prancing, not whining, not, I got to go, I got to go, I got to go. Yeah. And even, you know, like for us, for our guys on our team, when they run hunt tests, the honor bucket is like, they might as well be on their phone checking emails. You know, our dogs are, that's not an issue. You know, um, our dogs are very used to honoring. Uh, and we wanted to, I mean, we think that helps our clients anyway. We want them to have dogs that they just don't have to worry about steadiness and, and a calm, quiet dog behind the line. So yeah, I think that was a, a point of difference that he was like, man, this is, we don't do this. You know, this is different. They all do it this way. Yeah. Um, that is something yeah. that all of, all of my world with, with the hunt ass and stuff, you know, the quote unquote American style, right. You know, the, the differences, right. That yeah. is something that we all probably really need to do more of. And I think Adam probably you saw know, it and was like, dang, we should, we should do it. Or, or just once a week, twice a week. Yeah. Just put three of them on a dog stand and rotate them and then yeah. put a new group out. And, and we just don't do enough yeah. of it because we're too busy doing other things, but the magnitude yeah. and value is there. Now let me ask yeah, you a question. And, and, as I'm saying that, to be in setup. no, right? Yeah, good. Um, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking of times where I've really, you know, honed that and and took my own advice. Having them on a dog stand or in a ground blind, or like a Cato board, like you had mentioned, a, a known location to sit still on. I've had that be easier than sitting them still on the ground. And I wondered if you have mm-hmm. the same experience where it's like, because they know if they get off of that thing, they're in trouble versus being on grass where, sure. it's, where it's like I could scoot three inches and then he didn't know it because I'm, you know, Bob's running a dog. And I've noticed that yep. when I've done it, it's like the dog stands, the money spot. I feel good about just running the dog, not even looking back to see if they moved because they just don't 
Have you experienced that? Yeah. And like, how do you, hundred percent? how do you combat yeah. that? I've got, I've got several that, that I know I can sit in the grass and they're not going to move, but I've got others that are creepers. Um, and mm-hmm. they won't creep next to me, but they will creep to me. Right. So if I'm working another dog and they're thinking, man, I, you know, I don't know what's going through their brain, but something along the lines of, let me get up there and he'll send me. Um, and so, <laughs> yeah, and you know, like, no, 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 no. They're in a full sit, but they're scooting that butt across the grass, yeah. you know? Yeah, dude. And I'm thinking about Cedar, my dog Cedar. He'll do anything to be by my side. Red will do that. You know, I'll, I'll, I do a lot of remote marks and, uh, I'll sit red on the grass and I'll walk a hundred yards with my back facing him. When I turn around, he's at least 25 yards from where I sat him. Yeah. He's just sitting, but he never stood up, just walked on his butt the whole way. Um, so yeah, the stand, and, and again, this goes back to simplifying the big thing that, um, Adam and Jimmy talk about all the time on the podcast they do. I mean, putting a stand out there just gives the dog a real clear picture. Here's yep. where you're supposed to be. Don't get off of it. So they get it, you know, and they know it. And so it, I think helps eliminate the creeping. Um, so we do a lot of that with youngsters. Now with older dogs, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of putting a, like a Yeti chair out and sitting my five boys right behind me on the grass while everyone runs the set up and they never move, but I'm sitting there. Right. Right. If I go to run, they might get up and oh, I'll come with him and maybe I need to put one on the stand um, just to simplify. But for youngsters, yeah, the stands make it, make it a whole lot easier. Um, and I usually have some type of stand when I'm hunting, right? We have Same. a low marsh or a, a tree stand in the woods. We have ground blinds. I'm very rarely hunting a dog that's off the ground. Um, so yeah, it, it, it definitely transfers for sure. Now t- training tip, let's talk about red where he'll scoot. You know, you walk out a hundred yards and you know that you turn around and he scooted. What, what do you do? Um, man, that's tough because I don't want to ruin I mean, we're marking, you know, we're working on marking. So I try to prevent it by not turning my back to him mm-hmm. and just walking backwards. Um, I will on occasion, if I know he's really crept a long way, I will cast him back and say the word place as in, you know, where you're supposed to be. And that little sucker will run his tail right back where I've had him and sit. So I'm like, Oh, you know, right, right, <laughs> you, right. you know what you did. You know, you're not, you're not confused here. Um, and then I'll wait, you know, um, I'll definitely count a little longer before I release on the marks as long as he's not, you know, swinging his head around. Sure. Um, you know, I may throw a remote mark and count to five before I send him. Um, so he's not creeping. And then I do a lot of remote marks with multiple dogs. So I'll set three dogs down. And um, if you creep, you know, you don't get to go. Right. So um, for if you have a dog that has a propensity to creep, let's say Red wants to creep and I've got two dogs that don't like to creep. They, they'll sit steady. I'll throw it. If Red creeps, I'm going to send one of the others. If Red doesn't creep, I'll send him first. Um, I'm just watching the line to yeah. see who, you know, how he does. So I'll reward the, the right behavior. That's right. Yeah, I agree with that. I think putting him back where he broke from is key. And I think that's, so that would be a hard part for the average Joe or, or Jane that is training alone and doing what you're talking about with like remote sends. And what I mean by that, just to paint a picture in case you're, you're wondering what we're talking about, you you sit the dog down and you walk a hundred yards away and throw the bumper. If the dog moves, you have a decision to make. You either mm-hmm. you walk out and pick the bumper up, walk around a little more, throw it again. If they move, go out, pick it up, throw it again. And when they sit still, then you can send them. 
in the in the instance of of like the example for red where like you see his butt scooted you know 20 feet closer to you in the midst of walking out to go throw the bumper like to me it's pretty dang advanced to cast him back and so to you know for our our listeners who may not have a dog of that caliber that can cast to the original location sit him down wait longer make him be more patient kind of paint the picture in his brain that you should have sat now you have to sit longer then you can get what you want you know you basically have to say son of a pup i gotta walk back i could turn around and walk back to that son yeah. of a gun and like i don't know how you would do it but i'd probably grab by the scruff or collar and mm-hmm. just lift them up mildly gently but not really yeah and drag them back Just to where enough they to say, hey, 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 come on, boy. You yeah. know what you're doing here. Exactly. Yeah. Enough to where they get the yeah. picture too gentle and they don't give a crap too hard and it's not fair, but just enough where you get the change in attitude where then when you put yeah. them down and tell them sit, they get it. And then you walk back out. And if they do it again, you walk back. Yeah. And it's a pain in the butt. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. a it's a process. Huge. <laughs> it's a huge pain in the butt. But um, and I've, I've done it where I'm like walking around a body of water. Oh, to get God. a specific mark. Like, I really want to throw this mark so that you go across this point. And then I turn around, and the dog has crept around the bank toward me. So now the possibility of getting that mark is eliminated. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, well, now i got to walk another five minutes. You know? Yep. I will say this. The place board can be extremely important um, and helpful in that. You can use, like, a Momarsh or a place. Teach your dog to remote place. So my dogs, I can send most of them to place from about 150 yards. That's right. So line them up like a blind and say place. And then off they go. They get on the place. Now I taught that at five feet and then we, we built on it. Right. Right. Um, and then I'll put a place board in the middle of a piece of property and send the dog to place or put them on the place. And I'll walk out, throw a mark, and I will send the dog back to place. And then I'll walk around to a different spot, throw a new mark, and then send the dog back to place. And the dog's got to take a straight line to place, too, even if it's through the water. I'll handle them. And um, I don't know if that's helpful for guys that run tests or whatnot, but for our dogs, it's extremely helpful when you don't want to get a lot of equipment out and you want to throw some fun marks and you want to work on control. Um, that's a very fun drill to do in a big piece of property. I'll go to a new piece of property and do that. Yeah. So um, I would I say kind of keep like a, go ahead. No. So I would say no matter what you do, whether it's competition or gun dog or whatever, that kind of, and you use the word control, that's all it is. That structure that do X will get you Y, which is the retrieve helps build patience, yep. help build control, helps build teamwork. And you're going to struggle for, depending on your dog's skill level, you know, you got a six month old dog, adjust that your hundred yards to the place board is not a hundred yards at 10 feet. Yeah. It's 20 yards. 30 exactly. yards. Yeah. Exactly. Then, then, yeah. You, you build on it. You, when the dog finds success then you stretch them a little bit further right. um, and keep it simple, keep the, keep the picture clear for them. But I think that's, yeah, I've, I've got dogs now like red. If we go to do that, when he brings me a mark, he turns around and lines back up at the place board like it's a, a memory bird. That's right. Yeah, he knows. Like, oh, yeah, that's where I'm going. I know what we're doing. We've done this enough. And you're like, all right, cool. We're, we're locked in. Um, so, yeah. Let yeah, me ask you a fun. question uh, on handling. You know, 
this is a question that I, I get often. And so I'd like your opinion and, and whatnot on it. You know, because we differ. Handling, teaching, casting, drills that you like to do when you don't use an e-collar, getting that sit whistle crisp, getting uh, a dog to change direction without an e-collar. Like you get that scallop, you get that scallop, you get that scallop. It's like, you know, for me, I get that scallop, I get another scallop, tweet, you know, I can use attrition, no here, bring them back to where they made the mistake, stop them again, cast again. You know, attrition is huge, but I could also say tweet, Nick, cast. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's not, you know, we're not crucifying anybody. It's just another tool in the tool belt for us. Right. It's just another tool in the tool belt for us. But, but for you where you, you know, I would, maybe you'd agree or disagree, like a hundred percent, you don't use an e-collar, 90%, 80%. I don't know the answer. Oh, no. Um, yeah, that's a great question. So personally, it's 100%. I don't own one, but I'm not against them. We've mentioned Wally and Corey. I don't, I don't really know about Corey's stats right now, but Wally has 20-something client dogs in, and I would say half of them are on a collar. Mm-hmm. And that's how we're using it. But we're now, using so, it almost like a slip lead. Right, but um, but I didn't I didn't mean to have like an e-collar or non-e-collar question. I meant to have... You mean as you're blind. So how how are we doing if we're not using a collar? I don't even mean a blind in that situation. I mean even scale it back to like mini T T pattern and and, and teaching that stuff. Yeah. So um, we are probably spending more time on the like rudimentary simple drills. Mm -hmm. Um, So like a three bucket lining drill, uh, T. And then like a, a W drill, I don't know if y'all run that, but like mm-hmm. a, an advanced T where you have angle back piles. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we are running a lot of pattern blind style or white post drills. Um, and if a dog, you know, is, I run a ton of walking baseball. That's a that. great point that I wanted to hear from you, but go on. Yeah, I'm, I'm running these drills to where it's like muscle memory, right? And when I feel like, okay, you understand the difference between my arm going up to 12 o'clock and my arm going up to 10 o'clock and my arm going out to nine. You you know, when I feel like at this point, this dog knows the difference. We've done enough drill work that they know. Um, and again, my drills are all attrition, which I think most people's drills are going to be attrition. I don't think a lot of people are really, you know, burned to learn on drills. Right. Um, now we're going to the field. We're going to work on gold blinds. And when you give me a refusal, it's an immediate stop. And then I'm going to give you that same cast again. I'm going to repeat it. If you refuse it the second time, I'm going out. I'm, I'm stopping you. I'm going out. I'm bringing you back to where you made the first mistake. I'm going to stand 10 feet in front of you, and I'm going to give you that cast again. I'm going to, I'm going to close the distance so we get more control. Yep. And um, it's a lot more. So I think it's a lot more work, honestly. I think it's a lot more time than, than being able to use a collar for a quick correction. Right. Um, but my dogs are generally a little softer. Um, I'll tell you what, I got, we, I got one in my kennel that's from you. He ain't soft one bit, son. <laughs> <laughs> He's a uh, duck retrieving machine. Machine. Yeah, well, that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's I, I would hear. say it's a general statement. They're not all soft. 
No, they're not. And, uh, you know, we, those, we have a lot of client dogs that are on e-collars. I think the big difference is we, we're not a compulsion based program. So we're never going to use pressure to get a dog to go. We're, if we're going to use pressure, we're going to use it to get them stopped or get the right cast, whether it's a collar, verbal pressure, walking out, shortening the distance. My dogs understand me walking toward them as pressure. Oh, hell yeah. They're looking at you. If I stop you and, and you give me two cast refusals and I stop you again and I take 10 steps, I mean, that's, they're not scared, but it's definitely like ears back, like, oh boy. Yep. He's coming, you know, and so that's right. uh, That that usually enough to get them to say, okay, okay, you know, I I didn't want to actually go into that wind, but I guess if you're coming out here, I'll go into the wind. That's right, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, So we don't really need as much, but we have a lot of clients who want to run hunt tests, and we have a lot of dogs that are like what you just described, not soft, and we'll put a collar on them real quick. We'll call the client and say, hey, look, you can have this level of control without it, or you can have this plus this level of control with it. Yeah. You know, that's up to you. Yeah. Um, so we're not, you know, we're not living in fairy tale land thinking that it, it that everything can be done without one on some dogs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's probably us again. It, it clears up a lot of the confusion on the compulsion thing for us though. We want to build momentum in other ways. I'm not against compulsion training. It's just not the style that we like personally. And it doesn't always work great for British dogs because they've come from a hundred years of being bred without that or being, tested without that type of training so a lot of British dogs will crumble on uh, when it comes to force force to the pile force to water um and i don't know if you agree or disagree but when it comes to giving dogs back to owners and, and people who are first second dog you know in and they don't they're pretty novice pretty green you know you got a dog that you're using pressure to get to go like you got a dog that let's just say is giving you no goes right and you've and that dog is forced, forced to the pile, forced to water through a whole foundation of, of compulsion. You're going to use pressure to get that dog to go, right? Well, then when the dog's out after they've gone, are you also going to use pressure to get them to stop and to get them to take the correct cast? Mm-hmm. That is a tough thing to balance. That's right. Very tough. So you got to be an expert. Yeah. At training and reading dogs to do that properly. Adam Campbell, right? You guys, I mean, there are guys, you know, Clark Kennington is a prime example. He knows exactly when and how to use pressure. Right. Um, a lot of people, they're going to mess that up. I mean, you got a dog that's like, well, you just nicked me to go. Well, uh, you blew the so my thought stop. is, why'd you nick me there? Yeah. So my thought is just to, this is a great conversation and one that I think the goal would be as a trainer to get the dog to a point in its training where you are giving the dog to the owner where the go is not a, an issue anymore. Sure. So, sure. so you won't have to tell the owner if he doesn't go back, Nick back, you should, that would be a dis- discussion with the owner as a trainer saying, Hey, here, here's an issue that we found. This is how we solve it. And it's now going to take us a little bit longer. And so when they get the, the finished product home, their their new hunting buddy, it's it's not no going. It's not popping. It's not spinning. It's not having some right. of these issues that, that no matter, realistically, no matter how you train it, collar, no collar, this, that, treats, you know, they all don't read. They've never read a book. They didn't read Richard Walters. Sure. They didn't read, you know, 
they didn't, you know, join Patreon or Cornerstone. They're just, they're a dog. And so no matter what, the owners that you mentioned, like the one or two dog owners, like pretty novice handler, man, at the end of the day, the truth is no matter how good we all do as a, a, our job, the owner's still going to mess it up. And, and so we've got to just, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> so we've just got to do our best with the dogs and get them to a level to where that owner can handle them, enjoy them, go get ducks for them, sit still for them. And if they yeah. make a, a, a wrong cast, Hey, you know, did he make yeah. 10 wrong casts out of a hundred or did he make a hundred wrong casts out of a hundred? Like, you know, that's our, yeah. that's the job we have no matter what level or what, you know, use of a collar or not. It's just, our goal is, is to not send a dog home that is still struggling on going. We should have, we should have worked that dog. And and I'm a big proponent and I know you're going to agree with this is train the dog in front of you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We agree there big time. Yeah. So it's like, don't worry whether it's soft or hard headed or this or that. Like the owner still needs to have a dog he can go and enjoy or she can go and enjoy. So we just got to get them there and, and, and do it in the most effective and fun way where you've got a good, happy dog. But I love that. Yeah, man. I love it. Yeah, man. Well, Well, I know we're getting close. It's, it's almost jujitsu time. Dude, my kids and and jujitsu is a new, new hobby for our family. I'm about a year and a half into it. My kids are about two and a half years into it and. Can you take, gotta, you got five more minutes? Cause I want to hear, I got two questions, one yeah, on jujitsu and one on wakeboarding. Cause you've been shredding. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Just tell me about that. Like be, me. being a dad and watching your kids like shred the wakeboard and, and shred up jujitsu. Yeah. Like, what's that like? Jujitsu is a fun one because, um, it's like chess and, and I wanted to learn something new in my thirties. So I started it and, uh, I'm, I've got an obsessive personality, so I'm pretty obsessed with it. Um, I'm not great at it. I got a long way to go. Um, my school is fantastic. I do Gracie, which is a self-defense style jiu-jitsu where you're working on like counter strikes and whatnot. Very cool. much the type of jiu-jitsu you see in the UFC, not the type of jiu-jitsu you see like in jiu-jitsu tournaments. Um, just super fancy. I'm not jumping up trying to sling my legs on someone's head because I'm going to wind up with broken neck. <laughs> yeah. um, so my kids are really good at it. They've, they've got a tournament coming up um, in that style, and there's a guy coming tonight. It's a special class. He's a, a, like a third or fourth degree black belt. It's a really, really cool discipline, and it's, it's similar to dog training. I'm sure you guys remember when you train your first dog, and like I know a lot about this, and then you get a little further in, and you're like, holy cow, there's like a whole other level to this. And then you get a little further, and you're like, dude, I had no idea this, you know, and jujitsu is similar. You learn a few things, you're like, that's pretty cool. And then you learn there's a counter to everything you learned. And then you learn there's a counter to all of that. (laughs) And then you learn there's a way to know every counter at all times from every position. And you're like, well, (laughs) that dude's a master synthetic. You know, I don't, I don't know how to do any of that. So it's really, really, really fun. It's a fun discipline and you you can do it. And being able to tap in a discipline is great for kids. So they can go absolutely full throttle. My son and daughter can can abs like just straight roll jujitsu, and they're not going to get hurt because you tap. Right. So unlike kickboxing or taekwondo or judo, where you, if you go full throttle, it's going to really hurt. Uh, so you got to hold back a little bit. Jujitsu, you're all out, full on, 
And when you get to the point where you feel your arm about to break, tap, and your arm doesn't get broken, and you're fine. You go on to the next deal. So anyway, that one's really fun. It's a fun little family deal we do. And then wakeboarding, um, I grew up with some friends that were really good at it. We all had kids. We wanted our kids to be good at it. And so we got boats, and now we all ride. <laughs> um, my kids all love it. My son is ridiculous. He's, he's only uh, just turned nine. So he's riding as an eight-year-old this year. It's your age in January. And, yeah, I don't want to get the car before the horse, but, I, I mean, he'll we'll, we'll see. He's got plans to be at nationals this year. And, Dang. Uh, He's a shredder, dude. That's really cool. He's a little shredder, Shreddy Kruger. That's last right. year with him, and, and look, his his buddy Kane Ward, look him up on Instagram, Kane Ward. Uh, he's 11 or 12, and he's number one in the world. Landed a double flip at Nationals last year, um, or at Worlds last year, I'm sorry. Dude hasn't he even gone through puberty. <laughs> he is without a doubt. Like, you know, you remember watching those shows where like an eight-year-old's playing Mozart on a piano, and you're like, yes. what? Well, how did, he, he is a prodigy of wakeboarding. That's sick. And then there's another kid that actually does jujitsu with us named Zach Miller, who is, he's won world. He's a little younger than Kane. He is phenomenal, like just next level. And so my son has the ability to ride with those guys or the, the blessing of riding with those guys weekly. And, you know, that's huge. You're talking about Adam Campbell. You're talking about, you know, guys that are just guys that I really respect, you know, in, in the dog training world, um, for instance, Clark, I, I really love Clark Kennington. I have a massive amount of respect for him. Yeah. If you go train dogs with Clark twice a week, you're going to get a lot better. That's right. No doubt about it. There's no way not to. So my son's in the situation where he's like the young kid with these kids that are just absolute units on a wakeboard. Cool. And so <laughs> he's, uh, so, he's re- reaping so the benefits cool. of that. Good for you. It's man. fun, man. It's a really fun hobby. It's a fun hobby when it's honestly just too hot to work dogs. Yeah. So I get up early. We train our dogs in the morning. We get all our the dogs here done before it gets hot. And what are you going to do the rest of the day? Go shred, son. Not when it's 100 degrees. Yeah. And late, man. And we take dog. We take dogs with us. They're swimming around. Good so for you. It's pretty fun. Pretty fun. Well, I'm excited to see more videos of you guys shredding, and I hope you and your family you know, have another prosperous year. We'll have you on the show again. Cause I, I thoroughly enjoy every bit of us catching up, man. And, and truthfully, we got to figure out a way to, to do what you and Adam got to do. Just let's go have fun and train. And I, I really would love to, to spend more time with you guys. So we'll make that happen. Yeah, um, do me a favor, give everybody the, the rundown of where they can find you if they haven't already, which would be ridiculous of them if they haven't. <laughs> Come on. Uh, yeah, all, um, Instagram, Southern Oak Kennels, also a big part of Cornerstone Gundog Academy, Cornerstone Gundogs on Instagram. Uh, Cornerstone will be five years old this Saturday, which is pretty cool for us. We're Congrats. excited. Sweet. Um, and then, uh, personally, just Barton Ramsey on Instagram. SouthernOakKennels.com is, uh, sort of my baby. And, uh, there's a place on there you can reach out to us. And we really love hearing from, from all of you guys, uh, from all different walks of the retriever world. And uh, really appreciate keeping up, keeping up, and catching up with you guys on the podcast. I've, I've thought about it for a while. It's been so long. I think COVID was an excuse for me and a lot of people to not do stuff we normally do for a long period of time. And I'm tired of all that. So super fun to get back on the podcast with you guys and, and talk dogs. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for being a part of it. Always appreciate you. And I'm telling you, we'll we'll do this. 
sooner rather than later. You have a good night. Get to jujitsu. Go kick some butt. And uh, thank you again for <laughs> taking time out of your day. Yeah, I appreciate it, Bob. I'll talk to you guys soon. Y'all have a good one. You too. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link. Join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it. Enjoy it. We did it for you, and you're helping us produce a show so thank you so much to that community get in get out let's roll patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters hey listeners nick larson here host of the bird shop podcast as fans of this show you may be interested in the conversations on the bird shop podcast where we discuss all things upland hunting from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns bird dogs and gear used to pursue them whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more i interview a wide range of guests each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share if you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation please consider subscribing to the bird shop podcast today Thank you.